We are normally doing this series on, I don't know, preaching the word, evangelism, uh, spreading faith and knowledge of God's love on the earth. And uh, you guys are the agents for that. Uh, by the election of God, as they say, you're it. You are what the world needs. You are the salt of the earth. That's you. You're the light of the world. Look left and right and be like, yeah, well, uh, this is what we are. Uh, and when the crowds came to Jesus at the opening of his public ministry, they came for healing, they came for miracles, they came for, they came out of uh, their, their personal needs, they came uh, for the razzle-dazzle in, in a certain sense, but Jesus looked upon the crowd and he said, yeah, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, and a salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if you fail to do the job that you've been designed to do, then you are worth nothing except to be thrown out. And, and, and traveled uh, by men, which is a very dramatic way of saying don't miss the point of your life. You know, that's what that means. Don't miss the fact that your life has a purpose, your life has a mission, and it is to build this family into which we have just dedicated maybe uh, Escher. Um, and I hope that you were excited about that. I hope that you're galvanized about that. I hope that, like me, uh, have taken what the Lord uh, did in our midst, say, at the All Church Retreats, and you come out of it with some enthusiasm, and you want to be a difference maker in the world, not just on Sunday, but wherever you walk, Monday through Saturday as well, and, uh, and you just never know. You never know who is around you. One of the things that we have said frequently in the sermon series, that the person standing there's a person standing right in front of you who is thinking about Jesus. There's a person standing right in front of you thinking about Jesus. And I don't know what has made you feel unimportant and unpowerful uh, in the world, what mountain has blocked your way, but I think we're in a season where you know faith can move a mountain, and frankly, the mountain wants to move. The mountain wants to move. And you know, that kind of faith, I will accept your snaps. <clears throat> uh, a while back I got uh, a note uh, from a guy I went to high school with, his name was Tom, and someone along the way we had played on some sports team, sports teams together, but we weren't particularly close, and he was writing me out of the blue, I mean I hadn't heard from this guy since high school, so it was like, you know, somewhere between 25 and 30 years I hadn't uh, talked to this guy. I hadn't really thought about him uh, too much. Um, and he was just writing me out of the blue. He got a hold of my email to tell me that he had come to the Lord, that he had come to faith, and he just wanted me to know. And, uh, and then he went on to explain what it was that had done the trick. Uh, and my senior year, we had, we had an English class together, and there was a poetry contest sponsored by the local college, and I had written a poem for that contest. And my poem... Uh, because even then was a really vibrant, joyful, optimistic man. Uh, and so my, my, my poem was about God and death. God figured in there, but, you know, my grandfather has recently died, and I worked that in there, my poem. But, you know, it was about God, and uh, I wrote this poem and uh, submitted to this contest. I think it was a requirement of my high school English class. I won the contest! You know, published poets at the age of 17. 
I won $25. me back and said, I remember a poem that you wrote in high school, and you spoke about God so confidently, so calmly, so plainly, but so surely, I never forgot that. 25 years after the fact, I gave in and accepted Jesus as my Lord. <laughs> right? Like, that's like the worst evangelism I've ever done. <laughs> it's like this mediocre poem uh, in high school. And I was kind of known in high school as a Christian guy, I think. Um, I gave one of the speeches at graduation and talked about God there. So, like, he had occasion to observe me. We played sports together. Um, somebody, uh, <laughs> I played football. Somebody would get hurt on the football field. And, like, our club will actually gather around the guy and pray on the field. Woo! Because um, you could do that and not get kicked out of school right. back then. <laughs> the coach would not be fired back in those days. Um, country town, so so it was cool. So you know, it was kind of known, but, but that was it. That was the extent of my witnessing. That I never had a conversation with him about Jesus, but it was just the fact that he could observe in me a confident faith. That was it. You know, sort of this calm authority in, in what I, I I believe and my expression of belief stuck with him and was life-changing uh, years later. And uh, I had carried a conviction about that, the conviction that belief, when expressed with simple confidence and authority, is super powerful. I was about to say incredibly powerful, but literally what I mean is credibly powerful, right? It's believable. And I want to be believable. Do you think you're believable? Are you a believable person? You know what I mean by that? Think about that for eight seconds. Are you believable? I know you have a belief, probably, even if you're not, you know, one of our blue water regulars, meaning you don't know what you think about God. You're here in some fashion, so you have a kind of belief, right? But are you believable? That's not the warm-up question. Here's the warm-up question. All right, so take this one seriously. You haven't taken me seriously yet, I can tell. The question is, what do people believe? And I'm not even going to give you any guidance or direction about this. I'm just going to ask you, what do people believe? Think about that for eight seconds. What do people believe? They believe their experiences. Not a bad answer. I like it. Makes sense. What else? People believe. People believe what makes them feel good. Also, not a bad answer. What else? You got others? They believe they're okay as long as they're better than somebody else. They believe they're okay as long as they're better than somebody else. So, they, uh, they believe what gets them ahead or makes them look good or something like that. Okay. Interesting. 
interesting. Give me a couple more. They believe first-hand accounts. They believe witnesses. One more. They believe what they can see. Yeah, and what was the other one? They believe what they tell themselves. Oh, now that, that would need to be unpacked. That's a very provocative one, but I, but I kind of like it. Right? There's a sort of an intuitive uh, sense to it. All right, let's read a story uh, from Acts chapter 14. We're doing all these stories of like uh, people coming to faith in Scripture and how the early church worked this out. Uh, this is a story from an uh, early missionary journey from the very famous apostle and church planner named Paul. Um, we read about uh, in the book of Acts uh, primarily, and his partner was named Barnabas, and they uh, left uh, uh, this church in Antioch near sort of Palestine, Israel, and they've been traveling all around the Mediterranean, and uh, they are at this point in the story, in Acts chapter 14, they have made their way uh, north to what is modern-day Turkey. A Western Turkey, a region that is sometimes called Anatolia. Uh, and they are visiting uh, towns uh, in, in Western Turkey. Um, they got to visit a town named Lystra and another one named Derby uh, in this story. The thing that you need to know is that that section of modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, they would have referred to, um, was completely unreached. Like nobody had heard about Jesus, nobody had heard about the Christians yet. This was like the frontier as far as church planting went. This is probably just like maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 years after Jesus died and rose to heaven. Um, so this is, this is the unreached frontier. And this is how the story goes. I'm going to pick it up in Acts 14, chapter 8, we'll read about verse 23. It's going to be up on the big board behind me, or you can follow along in your Bible. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. So Paul had shown up in Lystra, he's standing on the street corner and he's speaking, and there's a man in the crowd who is crippled and has never walked once in his life. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Not the reaction they were looking for, uh, but they were impressed. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker, you know, Greek mythology. Um, this is a very Greek-influenced part of the world, so they think, oh, well, these are the Greek gods come to visit us and to do healings. Uh, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So this is going sideways. We're going to do a little honorary barbecue for the god Zeus and the god Hermes, uh, Barnabas and Paul. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news. Come on, guys. 
telling you to turn from these worthless things, bulls, wreaths, sacrifices, false gods, to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations uh, go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. This is uh, uh, a model of the way that God, uh, seeing that Paul often talked about God to Gentiles, to people who had no tradition of the one true God, or Yahweh, Jesus, anything like that. He said, consider the testimony of nature and everything. I'm talking about the Creator not some little personality gods. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. That's that part of the story. Then some Jews, this would be non-Christian Jews, came from Antioch, which is where Paul and Barnabas started from, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. How did they do that? That's interesting. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. So this is a completely new kind of sideways. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Tough dude. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Well, you would, wouldn't you? And they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Daring, Iconium, and Antioch, where their opponents came from, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That must have been a bumper sticker by then. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committing, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So they get elders, they get some leaders in all of these little small groups that Paul and Barnabas had planted along the way. All right, so this is the story of how the Church of Jesus spread in the world in the early days. And it's a crazy story. It gets really dramatic. There are some successes and there are some failures. And I just want to unpack it a bit. And I want to do it in the spirit of what do people believe? How do people believe? How do people be believable? What's going on in the realm of, of belief um, in this story? And I want to think about it uh, in terms of you know, spreading the word, being evangelistic. I love the opening scene uh, in this story. I use it a lot when I travel around and, and do power ministry conferences in different places. Uh, it's common for me to preach on Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. Paul shows up in Lystra. In Lystra, there sat a man um, who had walked since birth. He listened to Paul. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. He said, stand up and walk, and then he gets up and walk. What's the obvious question that jumps out of that? What's that? How did he do that? Uh, how did he do that? Miracle. It's kind of a thing. Oh. Gave him a command and he got better. Yeah. What else? What does faith to be healed look like? So this is a very interesting phrase. Paul looked in the crowd, probably about this size, saw someone with faith to be healed. Like, how do you see faith to be healed on someone? And all I can tell you is after years and years of doing that kind of ministry, oh, you can. You definitely can. You know, I can stand up here. Well, I do every morning. Uh, at 9 a.m., I stand up here, I turn around, and I see if anyone has come with faith, or if anyone has come. 
question that jumps out at me, like, this is a completely unreached place, completely unreached place, right? Never heard about Jesus, probably not heard about the one true God, except kind of like distant rumors, like, oh, those people have a tradition of worshiping Yahweh, something like that. And Paul stands up, and, and is just chatting on the street corners with a bunch of strangers, and this guy who had never walked, suddenly has faith, and not just faith, but faith to be healed. How many of you here walked in in a spirit of faith this morning? How many of you walked in here with faith for a miracle this morning? No. Did you have enough coffee? <laughs> right? And you guys are better. You guys are like compared to even church leaders from that era, your Bible experts, your history experts, like you got so much tradition, so many people have made a way for you. But it's still rare to look in a crowd and see someone who has so much faith that you can literally do anything for them in that moment. But this guy, who's like 12 minutes into his Christian career, maybe, has extraordinary faith. And so the really, really obvious question, particularly for a minister, is how did he get it? You know? And all we know about him is that he was listening to Paul, which tells us that however he got it, it had to do with what Paul was saying. The obvious question from that is, what in the world was Paul saying, right? And I will now ask you, what was Paul saying? And you will say, oh, he was talking about Jesus. Yes, <laughs> of course he was. But, but obviously, he was also telling stories of miraculous healings, right? Otherwise, this guy would not have known enough to believe in getting healed. So Paul was sharing first-hand accounts, testimonies of healing miracles, probably that he had done the week before, uh, south on the, on the Anatolian coast or something, probably talking about how Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles proving who he was, and how Jesus gave power through the Holy Spirit to his followers, of, of, of which Paul was one. You know? And so Paul said, so we have authority to do miracles, and probably shared some stories. And the guy was just like, I believe you. Which tells me that Paul was telling the stories in that manner of believability, right? He had that sort of calm, confident, believable delivery. I don't think there was a shade of hesitation or fear in Paul, right? Maybe because he was a really great man, or maybe because he just learned that in his business, that's how it was done. You know, there's only one way to fight a game. And that's with authority, believable confidence. Paul was believable, and he said something he wanted the guy to believe, and miracles happened. Anyway, that's my take on that. Paul spoke with a frank confidence that was believable. Paul spoke things that inspired the guy. Simple as that. And that combination allowed miracles to happen. All right, so the rest of the passage is crazy. They're like, wow, that was a great miracle. You know what? You're Zeus and you're Hermes. <laughs> well, that's not where I was going with this. You know, and then probably a little messier and more involved than the story uh, details. 
But when they bring in the bulls to be sacrificed, Paul's like, no, I'm a vegan. He says, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just a human. We're just humans like you. We have this whole thing. So that's weird, right? And then, and then the oppositional Jews come from out of town, and they're like, these guys suck. We should probably kill them. And so these guys that were like, wow, miracles, you must be gods, you must die. You know, it's like all in an afternoon. That's whoosh, 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 whoosh. What's the story about overall? What's the theme? An interesting discussion about this in my autonomy of It's not going as you plan. It may not go as you plan. <laughs> Good theme. Sorry. Keep the faith in the midst of all opposition. Paul does say at the end, hey, we must go through many hardships uh, to enter the kingdom of God. Sure. I think the story generally is about how influenceable people are. That's one way to put it, anyway. So they show up in a group of strangers, and in a few minutes of street corner talking, lead those strangers to miracle-working faith. So that's influenceability in a really good way, right? Because that's exactly how you want people to be influenceable, right? And then this sort of cultural thing rises up from the crowd and says, no, this is our filter. You must fit into it. So this is what we believe. And the crowd is like, yeah, they're gods. Like, all right, so that's influenceability in a kind of crazy way. It's like, no, 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 no. Take a moment and actually think, would you? And so Paul and Barnabas have that discussion with them. And I bet that was interesting. And then the oppositional Jews show up and, and influence the crowd again. It's like, no, kill them. And the crowd gets influenced in a really bad way. What did those oppositional Jews say about Paul and Barnabas that led the crowd to suddenly want to kill them? story doesn't say exactly, but I, I can tell you exactly what it was. <laughs> I'm going to say it, and, and you'll probably understand. Uh, they have done this great miracle, you know, healing the lame guy, and uh, then they're like, whoa, well, you're, you're Zeus and Hermes come down to be among us. And then Paul responds and says, no, that's false. In the past, the one true God has let you believe that kind of stuff, but look, it's that guy that made the heavens and the earth and the crops and the fields and all of that stuff. You need to change what you believe. You need to abandon your cultural traditions and believe truth. And so the oppositional Jews showed up and they said, this is what these idiots do wherever they go. They try to make people abandon their cultures. That's what they did to the Jews in, in, in our country, and that's what they're doing to the Greeks and Galatians, they, this was where Galatia was, uh, in yours. They're cultural oppressors. I mean, they probably didn't use that phrase, but, but I'll use it because that's a phrase that we're really familiar with these days, right? right? They're just trying to wipe out your cultures, uh, about your sacred traditions and those oppressors. And so immediately it turns to murder. That's an, it's an old accusation. Old accusation. That's what would eventually get Paul killed, actually, that accusation. 
Yeah. And so they turn the crowd uh, that way. So it's about people's influenceability for good or for ill. That's that's kind of what this whole account is about. How, what do people believe? How do they believe? How, how do you how do you get them to believe? Well, you know, I'd say a few things leap out of the passage. Number one, people believe that which is shared with authority, that which is shared with confidence, that which is shared with faith. People believe when you speak believably. That's it. <clears throat> and you can use that power for good, or you can use that power for ill, for destruction. But people are primed to believe something. You just want to be the one that's believable when you speak to them. You following? You think that's true? So, um, you know, people believe what is expressed believably, confidently. Uh, number two, people believe whatever the crowd wants them to believe. Okay, that happens a lot. Is there anyone that doesn't believe that is 100% true? You went through middle school. You know this is true, right? The crowd is peer pressure, like the, maybe the most important, the most powerful social force on earth, right? And what will happen is that people who don't respect truth will harness the crowd to make you believe stuff you shouldn't, right? Because um, the truth really isn't crowdsourced. It just is. You know, but there are plenty of people that will use the crowd to intimidate and manage and manipulate, and that's been happening all through history. And you know, you've experienced it a million times in your life. Maybe you've even been a part of it. Um, so the crowd is is a is a big factor. And then number three, people believe what they are consistently led to believe. And I want to talk about belief leadership. You'll notice that one of the last things that Paul and Barnabas do on this missionary journey is that they go back to this groups of disciples that they have managed to convert along the way, and they appoint elders, which is to say they appoint small group leaders for all of these places. And they say, you're in charge. People need belief leadership. Are you interested in being a belief leader? Are you interested in being a reliable elder? Are you interested in being a reliable small group shepherd, however you want to put it? Are you going to be a consistent belief leader, or are you just going to be a believer off on your own? Or are you just going to be a follower that goes what else? You know, and and that, those are timeless questions. Right? And they've been part of church history from the very beginning. I think that the world desperately needs belief leadership, which is to say people who lead confidently, even if it's reading some stupid poem, with a little bit of unflappability and certainty. Yeah, God, that two things we can really count on. That's essentially my fault. Uh, 25 bucks, come on. And people are like, that was believable. Something about the way you said that was believable, right? Belief leadership, uh, which is different than belief policing, which is what the crowd gives you, right? Belief leadership, is about faith. Belief policing is about fear. You know, and you immediately can tell the difference if you have any sense. Um, you can police dogmatically, legalistically, and get people to follow. 
but it won't lead to miracles. Only believing leadership will lead to miracles. And so that's how this story started. And eventually people were like, no, we will abandon the miracles and we will choose uh, crowd policing instead. And then it gets really tragic. But of course, all along the way, some people saw the light and came to the Lord. And, and Paul said, all right, I'm going to give you some little belief leaders to help you along the way. I'm trying to characterize how this works. This is a picture of church history. This is a picture of church growth and church operation. This is a picture of evangelism. Are you getting it? Belief leadership. Believability and belief leadership. Right? Turn to someone and say, oh, yeah, I get it. What does all this tell us about evangelism? Well, you know, it tells you to be believable. It tells you to be confident. It tells you to be authoritative. It tells you to be a belief leader. Um, and you're supposed to have some authority in what you believe. You know? Some authority. I think the world has taught you to share faith uh, with apologies and caveats. Yes, yeah, apologies, but, but, but not like those other Christians. Right? Which is like, you get that out in one breath, don't you? Right? Because, because Christians have been so thoroughly policed and we're a little bit afraid of the crowd and stuff like that. And so we're kind of, we want to be friendly and convincing instead of calm and forthright confident, and so what that does is it compromises our belief leadership, and it, it, it takes away our ability to do miracles. We might fit into the crowd nicely, but we won't be able to do any miracles, because miracles are by nature disruptive, and if we are afraid of being disruptive, then we've cleared away our opportunity to actually do miracles and big change. So, you know, I have to have some authority in what you believe, don't leave with apologies and, and caveats. The fact is that people follow confident they do, right? We see it in this story three different ways. People always follow confident authority, even when it's buck authority, even when it's based on, on stupidity. I don't want to ruffle any feathers, you know, like, don't be very non-judgmental and grace-based, but this is what I thought about Donald Trump when he first saw this scene. But, okay, Mr. Trump is kind of a jerk. But he makes the most of that, right? I mean, he leads with that. Uh, and he does it unflappably and unflinchingly. Hillary Clinton is a criminal. I want to say it to you. But people are like, okay. You know, everyone else was, ah! you know, and then he, and he said increasingly offensive things, but he said it with such great authority that people started trusting him, right? Nobody liked him. The polls were really clear on this. But they trusted him. Because he was confident and sort of calm in what he said, even when he said things that were outlandish. And people would prefer that to a lot of political soft peddling and two-facedness and stuff like that. And that was basically the election, right? His critics said, no, he won the election because America is white supremacist. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, I just think that he was believable, this sort of confident authority. Not in a super mature way. I'm just not, you know, I'm more rough on others, but he was that guy. You know, and it was just so incredibly refreshing to people that they abandoned both political parties and followed him instead. Right? He's just a really unprecedented figure in American history. As a political scientist, I was fascinated. Uh, and I think people didn't give him enough credit uh, for what he was doing. 
have been reasons for that. But you know what I'm saying? It's just a great example. You know, and that might be the only time you hear you say that Donald Trump is a great example of faith. But he kind of was. Is. I mean, he's still out there, right? Uh, doing his thing. And uh, so I don't really think he's right or left, but let's say he's on the conservative side of things. And the liberal response to that was to do crowd policing, right? To respond that way. And so, and then they doubled down on that and doubled down on that. So, and cancel culture and woke culture and stuff like that. You are only allowed to believe certain things, and if you don't, you'll get canceled, stoned. So that was it's classic, classic, you know, and just, just sort of a repetition of this story. And somehow in the middle of that, the Christians have to rise up and, and have a confident, believable authority about them. Only we want to be mature, right? We know what to believe. It's not mysterious uh, to, to the people of God. Preaching authoritatively is awesome. Preaching judgmentally is not. And when you preach authority, people often accuse you of being judgmental. Right? But there's not a judgmental person in this room. I know you guys. Right? So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of that. Right? There's a difference. Do you understand why I said that? You've been accused of being judgmental and oppressive so often that you've heard the way you're authority. Don't do that. Don't do that. It makes you unbelievable. It makes you unbelievable. Um, so, you are not trying to get people to comply. You're not policing. That's not you. You're not judgmental. You're not legalistic. Um, you're trying to get people to believe. You're a belief leader. You're confident. You're authoritative uh, in a mature way. Have I characterized that okay? I see it in ancient history. I see it in modern politics. This is just a rule of human behavior, it's a rule of crowd behavior, and I, for one, am choosing belief leadership. Like, I know what I believe. I don't care what accusation comes against me. I don't care about being socially awkward. My goodness, if I cared about being socially awkward, I, I've been socially awkward my whole life. <laughs> um, you know, I just care about the support of calm authority. It does not rest on my intelligence. It does not rest on my really fancy wardrobe. It rests on this is the way to play the game. It's the only way the game works. You know? I don't have to shout. I don't have to judge. I don't have to debate. I just have to tell stories and look for faith on people's faces when I do. And when I find it, I can do a miracle. And I can I can do a miracle. Some of you have seen me do something. I have seen some of you do something. It works the same way it's always worked. Always. Whether you're in Western Turkey or East Oahu, same thing. Same thing. So here's what I believe. I believe that there's a God, that God is a being who's order of being, we don't understand fully yet, being humans, my gosh, we don't understand cosmic physics yet, so we certainly don't understand the creator who made them, and I believe that God did create the universe, and that the nature of life in the universe has to do with trusting in the creator, that's what life is for, 
and humankind is a mixed bag, every individual, and we should therefore be humble and very slow to throw away lessons that have come down to us through history about the one true God and what it means to follow. Not Father God, I pray um, for believability and for a value on believability. I pray for uh, calm confidence in our midst. We believe that there is someone standing in front of us who is thinking about Jesus right now. Right now. Right now, there's someone who just wants to escape uh, all the fear in the world, all the cultural bickering, all the hunkering down, all the fretting about the future, uh, the division among people, the breakups in their family. They just want something that's worth believing in, and someone who's worth trusting. Come speak, Lord Jesus. Come speak, even now. Gonna give the Creator God a few seconds to speak to you. sees the individual. Not traditions or crowds or debates. He always sees the individual. Maybe you for a scene this morning. Here I am, Lord. One of you individuals wants to uh, Come to belief in Jesus, and uh, you want a little gift of faith this morning, just, just go ahead and raise your hand, and I'll pray for you where you are. A little gift of faith that you could use this morning. Father God, I pray uh, for those who have raised hands that you meet them individually, individually. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, brothers and sisters with faith to believe. And I bless you, brothers and sisters, with faith that is believable. I bless you as believable people. As I say that, I feel like so many of us have, sorry, I, 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 so many of us have been assaulted and been made to feel that we are not believable people. So many accusations have come against you just not worth believing. That's not true. You have creator God behind you. That is not true. And I just like to invite you to, to just do repentance in your heart right now. You're not unbelievable. You are not uncredible. You're a believable person representing a very believable truth and a very believable God. 
And I just want to heal your heart right now. You're as believable as the Christians have been since the very beginning. You're as believable as Paul and Barnabas were. Just to set down the injuries, the fears, you are believable. It's just been a spirit in the world that has just assaulted us. Taking away the power. Bah, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. We have ever been and we shall ever be. I thank you, brothers and sisters, for being people of belief and for bringing it wherever you are and you go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.